Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, December 12th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on XXVII, the third line that starts with the doctor writes. Today's readers are Katie F., Kathy K., Sally, and Laura W. The reference number for Wednesday, December 11th, is 5613. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA and to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 steps. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Pass. Thank you, Melanie. And I will now ask Michelle L. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. It's Michelle, recovering compulsive overeater in Delaware. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
4, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 5, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. 6, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outdoor outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Michelle. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page XXVII, the third line, beginning with the doctor writes. I will ask Katie F. to begin reading. How much of the letter do you want me to read? Um, that's a good question. Uh, Leah? Okay, I'll just, I'll just read a, a, a little bit of it. Okay, I'm Katie, okay. a recovered compulsive reader in Virginia. The subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such masterly detail in these pages. Um, <clears throat> I'll stop there. And, you know, this was written, um, I'm not sure exactly when, but the fact is he didn't, it didn't have to be rewritten and it didn't have to be uh, taken out um, because it was superseded by something um, better later on, and these first 164 pages, you know, lay out exactly how to recover, 
and this doctor is endorsing that. And, you know, it makes me kind of sad that, that we don't have that kind of endorsement by the medical uh, community for compulsive overeating. There, there's still that lack of, of accepting the link between alcoholism and food addiction um, that would just be so great. But, you know, I'm not giving up hope that, um, that we can get this message out there that there is a solution for people who are like us, people who do not have a full button, who do not uh, think that food is too rich and so they stop eating it, or who, you know, get a stomachache so they stop eating it, um, or who have, you know, uh, diabetes and at, there's a risk of losing a limb because of infection and they still keep eating. Um, this disease takes us to the depths that, you know, are it's suicide on, um, the, you know, in slow motion. It's just awful. But this doctor um, is so excited to be endorsing this program. And you know, it's uh, very exciting to me that um, we can carry this message and give it to other people and say, you know, this is all you have to do. It's not I have to do all of that. It's this is all I have to do to recover is uh, follow the directions that are laid out so beautifully in this book. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Who would like to share on what was read? This My is name Kim. is Peter. I'm a compulsive overeater. So I have Kim and then Peter. Uh, go ahead, Kim. Good morning. Um, good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm so excited that we're this doctor's opinion. And I'm just going to pick up the idea afflicted with alcoholic addiction. What does that mean? What does it mean to be afflicted, to be suffering? from alcoholic addiction. You know, I for years raised my hand in the room of Overeaters Anonymous and said I was a compulsive overeater, but what I meant was I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore. Being fat doesn't make you a compulsive overeater. So I'm going to show some stuff in the big book here that's going to show you what it means to be afflicted by alcoholism. And it says here on page 44, first paragraph, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. So that's the twofold illness. If when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely, which means the food is down, and you have an obsession of the mind that's not allowing you to keep the food down. It's telling you it's going to be okay. It's telling you this time will be different. It's telling you it will give you that ease and comfort that you are searching for. And when you have, if you have little control over the amount you take, meaning that once you ingest certain substances, a phenomenon of craving happens and you're unable to reasonably predict how much you're going to have. That is the twofold nature. You know, I have friends that, that joke and tell me, gosh, you know, once I open up a bag of Doritos, I have to eat the whole bag. I don't know what it is. I can't stop eating it. So I made a decision. I'm not going to have Doritos anymore. That's not a compulsive overeater. There's something that happens to them when they eat the Doritos, but they have the sanity of mind to make the decision not to start. I have another friend that's obsessed with chocolate. She said it really bothers her because she's distracted all day with the idea that she can't wait to come home and have some chocolate. 
And she comes home and she has a bag of Hershey Kisses and she has one Hershey Kiss. And that satisfies that obsession she has all day. And she goes, ugh. And she's okay till the next day when she has one Hershey Kiss. A bag of Hershey Kisses lasts as long as the number of Hershey Kisses in that bag. She doesn't, she's not a compulsive overeater. She has an obsession of the mind, but she doesn't have the allergy to the body because once she has it, she's satisfied. That is a compulsive overeater. So we have to be sure that we have this twofold illness. So the, the book goes into what does it mean not to be a compulsive overeater. I'm going to go to page 20 where it's going to explain to us the moderate eater, the hard eater, and then the real alcoholic. It says moderators have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason to. They can take it or leave it alone. That's my father. My father enjoys food. My father, when he goes on vacation, eating the cuisine of that local um, area is a big part of his enjoyment of his vacation. But once he comes home, he leaves it alone. He finds out how much he weighed, he gains, he curbs his eating, and he's fine. So what about the hard eater? It says then we have a certain type of hard eater. He may have had it badly enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. But if sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, or the warning of a doctor becomes operative, this man can also stop or moderate. Although he may find it difficult and troublesome, and may even need med- medical attention. So that is someone who might eat like me. From the outside, they might look like me, but they don't ha- they're not fully pickled, as we talk about. I have a friend like that. We always talk about this threefold disease when we put in the emotional. And that's not what the big book talks about. My friend went through a nasty divorce. She ate her way through that divorce. Her husband left her, never sought to be seen again. She had four children. She had to keep up this brave front. And for two years, she ate like me. But once she got settled down, got her emotions in order, except that her husband was gone, got her kids feeling more comfortable, got a job where she could support them, she simply got an exercise video, went to a conventional diet program, moderated her eating, lost her weight, and she is fine. She is not a compulsive overeater. And I think that's one of the things that's confusing is we have people in the rooms who are the moderate eaters and who are the heavy eaters. And they can come in and they can get a food plan and they can have the people have the rah, rah, rah support. And they're okay. They don't need to work the steps. And they don't need to work the steps because they are not compulsive overeaters. But for those of us who are the true compulsive overeaters, we are going to be forced to work this step because the allergy of the body will never change. And our only hope is the obsession of the mind to be removed with the connection with the higher power. And we get that connection with the higher power through working the steps. So I hope I made clear what the big book is telling about us of those who are afflicted with the alcoholic addiction. Because if we are afflicted, we better apply the pages in this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Peter, go ahead. Thank you. My name is Peter. I'm a compulsive reader. And uh, thank you for this meeting. I'm very grateful and humbled to get to participate in uh, recovery. I, I always have such a miracle. Like, this is the greatest miracle I've ever known. And it's renewed every day. I guess this every day. I get to do this. I guess this is wonderful. You know, I read something today that really moved me, which was that the greatest 12th step ever done was the writing of this book. 
which is staggering. Like, you think about all the 12-stepping those guys must have done in the beginning when, like, Bill, those first six months was trying to keep himself sober. Didn't help anybody. Just kept himself sober. But, it, you know, I shouldn't say he probably helped some people, but you know what I mean. Guys who know the history, you know. So these three paragraphs that we read have some key words that jump out at me. The first is paramount importance. Like paramount, the greatest importance. Then, you know, another great thing about this book, the many great things about this divinely inspired, miraculous book that uh, is an incredible blessing and a path to truth in God or whatever you believe in, it's the path. Uh, the experience that's offered. Um, the book tells you who wrote it and why they wrote it. And in the second paragraph, Dr. Silkwood says, this is who I am. You know, I have many years' experience at a hospital treating this. So then the third paragraph, you know, and to me, the greatest, you know, and it's interesting, you know, Dr. Silkwood is buried in Long Branch is about an hour from me south, and uh, his uh, birthday is in July, and I once went to a gravesite celebration where uh, an author was working on a book and spoke, and a family member spoke, and a guy moved to tears spoke about the greatest miracle is that when Bill had his white light experience in South Hospital, Dr. Silver didn't lock him up forever. You know, this was the 30s. He just said, go with it, run with it, work with it, make it and in fact, Dr. Silver gave him the suggestion after six months of trying to evangelize, talk about your drinking experience. And the first guy he reached out to, Bill wanted to drink, he was in the hotel, he was in Akron. He reached out, you know, I have a, an OA sponsor who's very well worth first in the big book. He said, you know, the, the book says he called, the first church he called, was uh, with the one where, you know, that gave him Dr. Bob, but it, my, my only sponsor said, no, it was the tent. That's the willingness that God gave Bill when he wanted to drink again after six months in Akron. Like, that's the kind of willingness I need. I only need as much willingness as they did in the beginning. You know what I mean? I only need is whatever it takes. So then... Uh, he endorses the book in the third paragraph. He says, masterly detail. Like masterly. Like these guys and women did it. They put it together. And it's so interesting. You know, you have the first letter and the second letter. The first letter he wouldn't put his name on in the first publisher. And then you have the second letter. Or he's just like, this is the physical allergy. And I will say, having learned a great deal about the science of food, I will say, I know I have an allergy to wheat flour and sugar. I would say, based on the pandemic of obesity and diabetes in the world, that I think everybody has the allergy. It's just a question of how sensitive I am. And since I was over 400 pounds at one point, and I'm not anymore, I'm currently on maintenance at 190. Um, the point is that I've learned about myself what I need to know about food for today. And it's really, you know, my prayer every day 
let me know less and learn more. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Peter. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Monica. Hi, Monica. Go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. In the very first um, line, the subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount, primary, foremost importance to those afflicted, troubled, suffering, tormented with alcoholic addiction. So we're in the 1930s here. And what is the subject presented in this book? Well, way back on the title page, they tell us the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So that's what they're going to tell us how to do in this book. And Dr. Silkworth here says this after many years' experience as a medical director, and he worked in Towns Hospital in New York City, and it is said that he worked with over 50,000 alcoholics and drug addicts. And poor Dr. Silkworth only had a very slim success rate. I was told 2% success rate with these thousands of men and women that he worked with. And so, yeah, he's excited. He sees this process happening and people recovering. He's seen something working that he's not been able to do or accomplish. And what humbleness and what love this man must have had to be able to see this, admit this, and, and come up with what he did. Therefore, a sense of real satisfaction. He goes, yes, I'm more than glad to put my two cents here because this is working. There is so much hope here in this in what you guys are saying, and what you guys are doing. Because before this, if you were an alcoholic, you ended up in an asylum, in jail, or dead. And this book is saying you can have a wonderful life. And all you got to do is work these steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Would anyone else like to share before we move on? Okay, Kathy Kay, would you read the next paragraph? Sure. Thank you, Julie, for your service. This is Kathy Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. I think I'll stop there because that's a really uh, important paragraph. Um, and uh, I'm particularly noticing... Um, the second sentence, uh, with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well-equipped 
to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Well, what is synthetic knowledge? That's information um, that we derive from our own human powers. Uh, as you know, since 1935, um, there's been an explosion of synthetic knowledge uh, based in scientific inquiry. Um, and what Dr. S Silkworth is saying here is that that um, wealth of synthetic knowledge actually gets in the way of finding a solution um, to this uh, problem that we've identified here. Um, that um, a moral psychology uh, is difficult to grasp, uh, especially as we learn later on is based in developing a relationship with a higher power, something beyond our capability to even envision and define in detail. Um, so he's recognizing very early in this letter that the challenge alcoholics uh, will find is in transcending our synthetic knowledge and being willing uh, to surrender to a higher power. Um, he also notices that, or notes that doctors know this. Um, but haven't been able to move beyond their own training, scientific training, uh, to, to define this solution the way the alcoholics that wrote this book were able to do. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Kathy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. Leah. This is Sally. Okay. So we have Larry, Leah, and Sally. Go ahead, Larry. Thanks so much. Uh, Larry, uh, Compostable Reader from Chicago. Um, yeah, this, this, uh, this paragraph's amazing. So, you know, it talks about moral psychology. Um, it talks about synthetic knowledge, powers, you know, that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. To me, you know, someone's kind of trained in the social sciences and, and, uh, you know, when when you're when you're in that area, you know you um, you know we're trained to worship at the altar of data. You know, synthetic knowledge. You know that that reminds me of of kind of like evidence-based treatment. You know, something that works based on evidence. Well, what evidence? I have all the evidence that I need to know that these steps. This moral psychology, this this uncovering of my character defects, you know, all these steps that I take, these action steps that bring me closer to my conception of a higher power, somehow, however mystifying, um, has has produced an effect on me that has removed my compulsion. A compulsion that I could not be, I could not cure myself. There wasn't the book, there wasn't the evidence-based treatment, there wasn't the methodology, the technique, the anything. 
um, in the field of psychology, a field of you know that I that I believe in, and I think provides a tremendous amount of help to people. But for me, my experience is that none of those things worked for me to get me to put my binge foods down for two minutes. There was no way because I have an allergy of the body and, the, and an obsession of the mind, and I I bought into that. Um, I bought into that completely. This powerlessness based on my experience. So now, you know, when, when, when Dr. Silkworth talks about, you know, that we know that, you know, some form of moral psychology, you know, was of urgent importance to alcoholics, he, he was acknowledging that, you know, there's, there's probably, you know, folks could take a, a look at, at how they're living their lives and, and look at values and so forth. That would probably be a good thing. But the problem was the application presented difficulties beyond our conception, that we didn't know how to get people to that point. You know, we had all these ultra-modern standards, a scientific approach to everything, you know, and, um, but, but none of it worked really. Or if it did work, it was, you know, the, the numbers of people that benefited from it were so small that um, it, was, it was probably terribly frustrating, you know, for, for, for doctors even ones that specialize in that area. So, um, so then, you know, to, be, to have this, this, new, this new approach, one that, you know, that talked about, you know, powers of good that lie outside the realm of synthetic knowledge. For me, I can't explain why, why uh, accepting a power greater than myself, one that I can't, you know, I can't measure, quantify, you know, there's no, there's no, you, you're not going to see research. Um, you're going to see, you know, maybe case studies on 12-step on, on, on programs working, but you're not going to see evidence-based research based on quantifiable things that we can measure because guess what? The tool doesn't exist yet that I'm aware of that can measure this connection to a higher power that somehow removed, it didn't lessen, it removed this compulsion for me and it can for others I believe too because I've, I've seen this is a message of hope and with that I'll pass thank you very much Leah if you would share thank you so much Julie for your service good morning everybody my name is Leah I'm a recovered compulsive overeater we doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. Um, this term moral psychology was a term that was used by Dr. William Silkworth to characterize, you know, the work being done um, by Bill Wilson and the other members at this time. And, you know, thank God for this medical saint, Dr. William Silkworth, because he, he saw, you know, that um, however... Um, highly regarded he was, um, he stood um, powerless, you know, by the bedside of these alcoholics. These men in, of science and these men of medicine were acknowledging their limitation of their art. You know, yes, uh, we need physicians, of course, of, of all types. Yes, they have a, a tremendous function in our society. 
you know, but even Dr. Silkworth and his uh, colleagues were noticing that um, there was something necessary here that was beyond human aid. It says, what with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good. Think of the powers of God uh, that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Synthetic knowledge is something that's man-made, something that's artificial, something that's manufactured. What's needed for a real compulsive overeater like me or a real alcoholic um, is something that goes beyond human. It goes beyond the material. It goes beyond the physical. It has to do with the fourth dimension and has to do with the world of the spirit. Why is that? Why is that true for someone like me? Dr. William Silkworth made it, made it um, clear through his studies and his understanding that an alcoholic is powerless. That was Dr. William Silkworth's conclusion, that inside an alcoholic's skin, his body, his mind, his will has no effective power with respect to alcohol. And that is true for me as a compulsive overeater, a real compulsive overeater, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, that inside of me, of me, of my own resources, my body, my mind, my will, I have no effective power with respect to my binge foods. I have no choice. The mental obsession condemns me to eat compulsively when I don't want to, and the phenomenon of craving condemns me to continue eating those binge foods once I start. And even when I'm not compulsively overeating or thinking about compulsively overeating, my life seems to be unmanageable. I'm haunted by the bedevilments. My efforts, my energy, my desire uh, never delivered the hoped-for results. I tried numerous remedies and, and methods. I was continuously restless, irritable, and discontent, sinking my fists into uh, the depths of a cellophane bag and a bakery box uh, was my only form of relief. My human resources, um, marshaled by whatever will I could muster up, was not sufficient. I failed utterly. So the big book taught me lack of power is my dilemma. I'm going to have to find a power other than myself to save me from myself. And that's exactly what Dr. William Silkworth uh, came to the conclusion of, that something beyond um, human aid was needed, that this was a spiritual malady. He called it moral psychology. You can um, put in spiritual awakening, personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. God was needed here, and that's exactly what he was witnessing. He was witnessing how God was touching each of these men and women personally on the shoulder. Yes, they believed in themselves. Yes, they had a message to carry, but they believed still more in the power which was pulling these seemingly hopeless alcoholics back from the gates of death. And with that, I pass. Thank you.
Thank you, Rhea. Sally, would you share? Thank you. Uh, Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. Not a whole lot to add to that, um, those beautiful shares, but I would just say this. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent, urgent importance to alcoholics. And this word moral, and I looked this word up, and it, it uh, other words that are used are ethics, rules of, or habits of conduct, standards of conduct. And can you imagine these men who are coming and they are uh, crawling out of the gutter and being brought into the hospital in some cases, not even of their own volition. And what can they offer these gentlemen and even some women who are just so numb that they are practically comatose in their cups? And what can they say to them? Can they give them ethical psychology? Can they give them rules or habits of conduct? Gee, Joe, you shouldn't be hanging out in the gutter. Is that going to help? Are they going to get standards of psychology or or moral psychology? Can they give them anything? And, And what I see the opposite here, when it goes from moral psychology at the top of the paragraph down to the synthetic knowledge, which, of course, is man made, manufactured, artificial, and invented knowledge. And what he's telling us in between here, which we've heard, is that they are not equipped. He's telling us we doctors, skip down a few lines, we are perhaps not well equipped. And this comes from the man who helped define and articulate once and for all that it's not about shame, that it's not about what's wrong with you, that it's not about you are the one who's a defect, that you can't stop. That's not. That it's about an allergy of our body, that it's about an obsession of our mind. These are the men who explained it to Bill so that Bill could take another look and that Bill could have this spiritual experience and lead him to a place where he knew that no one could help him but only a higher power. And before I end, I would just bring us again to page 45 That first paragraph, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And thank God these doctors were humble enough to not be so lost in themselves and and, and in the societal lifting up of who they were as doctors who could realize themselves that they were not equipped, that they were ill-equipped, that it had to be a power greater than ourselves than any man, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that is exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. Here we are in the doctor's opinion, and that's what he's going to tell us. We doctors were ill-equipped. Now we're going to give you, we're going to help and contribute to a book that's going to tell you paramount, those are the words he used, of paramount importance at the beginning of his letter to those afflicted with alcohol, alcoholic addiction, of paramount importance. We're going to help and contribute to you finding out about a power greater than yourselves. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Go ahead. Thank you, Julie. 
I've heard so much here. But these doctors saw so much, and that's what they're writing about here. Can you imagine the frustration? There they are with you. And it sounds to me when we're going to go right from Dr. Silkwood, there was a love here for these for these men that were alcoholic. Moral psychology, they talked with them. Right and wrong. They knew right and wrong. And they walked out that door and they said that's the way they were going to live. But then they came back. Then they came back and they realized, what is it? But it's application to do right and wrong. To know right and wrong was wonderful. But they couldn't follow through. No, if I drink, I'll die. So you'd say, well, you don't drink. But then they'd go out. And how many they saw that did die? It's application presented difficulties. They gave them, they equipped them, they cleaned them up. They sent them out. Beyond our conception, they didn't have a design of living for these men. And you know, they had so much here, and that's what they clearly say. What with our ultra-modern standards? A scientific approach to everything. To everything, but not this. This approach isn't going to work. There is no science here. Ultra-modern standards, so far beyond. But yet, not far enough, are they? They had to go even another steps. We are perhaps not well-equipped to apply. They had it all, but they didn't know how to apply it. The powers of good. The powers of good in life that lie outside our synthetic knowledge, just outside. For you see, it was inside moral psychology, as was said, spiritual awakening. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I Thank do away. Thank you, Paula. Uh, Sally, would you please read the next two paragraphs ending with Gates of Death? Okay. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. These are some of my favorite lines in this book. I'm still Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey, and I want to speak to these last few lines, the unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them the entire absence of profit motive. We have to remember we're looking at a man named Bill 
um, a guy who was uh, just determined to be financially successful. He was willing to do whatever it took in terms of his education. He was um, climbing, and um, he was uh, turned his attention to stocks, and he saw where money was going to be made, and he wanted that money. We'll see that as we get to his story, that, that this was a, a large part of who he was. And yet here he comes to find this the answer to a key question for so many addicts on the planet that God has gifted him with the answer and inevitably he writes this this beautiful book with the help of the rest of the we and with an absence of profit motive he gives it away obviously a community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily so we hear from this doctor who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field, that, that he himself is impressed by this man, Bill, who unselfishly wants to share what he has found out. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. And we know that on bottom page 13, belief is an element, tells us on the top of 14, it's an essential to our recovery, to believe. And they believe in themselves. And what do they believe of themselves? They believe that they are uniquely useful. They believe that they have their stories are uniquely useful in helping others come back from the gates of hell. And they believe that it's only by a power greater than ourselves that we don't have within us what we need to climb out of this pit that we walked in for so long, that we laid in for so long. They believed. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Would anyone like to share on these paragraphs? This is Sharon. May I share? Yes, Sharon. Go ahead. Oh, thank you very much, and thank you for your service, and thanks for everyone out on the line today. And I'm just so grateful to be going back through this doctor's opinion. And uh, what amazes me, too, is the <clears throat> bottom part of that paragraph, the unselfishness of these men. Um, you know, this was, uh, they were freely given to others, this gift that had been freely given to them. And so there was no ulterior motive or profit motive, and there was definitely a sense of that uh, community spirit and and to someone like the doctor, I can imagine uh, being in this field and laboring with um, alcoholics and just seeing the um, you know this inability inability to to stay recovered that they kept coming back and kept coming back, and the heartbreak that goes along with that for all the families and everyone involved in the lives of of alcoholics it, it is very tragic and you know, so as a result of that and seeing what Bill did, um, you know, it was sort of like, um, I don't know, God moved in his heart to see, you know, maybe maybe this, maybe this is what the answer is. Maybe this is what we have been missing. And, and look at what he's doing with some of these other men. And so as a result of that, we, with this uh, compulsion um, of the food addiction and uh, eating uh, foods that are, uh, our body will not tolerate just like the alcohol will not tolerate in a, someone's uh, body that has alcoholism. We are also given this privilege to give freely back to others what's been freely given to us. 
and and still more this power. Uh, you know, it just seems to me like Bill was surrounded in this armor of light and the presence of, um, you know, a higher power, God's presence in his life, which gave him this privilege to be able to reach out to other chronic suffering alcoholics and, um, you know, give them this gift rather than seeing them, um, you know, just die in this uh, terrible uh, disease of alcoholism. So I'm just very grateful for this paragraph. And I'm also very grateful to Dr. Silkworth that put himself on the line to, um, you know, put these things in writing, um, a man of science. So with that, I pass and thank you and welcomed everyone out on the line. Thank you, Sharon. Um, this is Julia, recovered compulsive overeater. I want to jump in for one second. You know, it talks about the, um, the unselfishness of these men. I mean, as we know, Bill was always trying to make a dollar. I mean, he was a stockbroker. He wasn't going to be a lawyer. He, I mean, he was in it for himself. And then he has this psychic transformation, awareness. He changes. And I look at all the diets that I did, and, you know, I would lose 50 pounds because that's how I was overweight at that time. And then they'd ask me to be a Weight Watcher speaker, and I wanted to make money at it. Then, of course, I gained that, and then I had to lose 100, and then I did it some through hypnosis, so I was going to be a speaker, but I was going to make money. I, I wasn't doing it to help another person. It was like, what could Julie get out of this? And I, I see Dr. Bob and Bill and Dr. Silkworth they did this without wanting anything in return but to help another still suffering alcoholic. And today, when I sponsor, I sponsor to be a service to help. I'm not looking to make money to go be a circuit speaker or to be whatever. I just want to be of service and share how I came to know my higher power so that I could be relieved of this um, obsession. So this is so exciting. I mean, someone who was so into money and turning a dime spent the rest of his life being of service. So it's just the entire absence of profit and motive. That just really stands out because there's so many of us could be, you know, speakers on how to lose weight, but as we know, that's not the real problem. So thank you. With that, I'll pass. Wouldn't anyone else like to share? This is Kim. Hi, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning again, everyone. Um, Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. I mean, that's the key. You know, we can have these wonderful ideas of the 12 steps. But if we don't put it into practical application, if we don't do the steps, you know, it says on page 59, here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. You know, and it says at once. I mean, how many times do we sit in the room like, well, just get comfortable. Go, go to six meetings, see if you like it, you know, maybe get some comfortability, and maybe like in six months you can start these steps. You know, it's saying that he went to practical application at once. One of my big book mentors had said a couple weeks ago that a newcomer had said to him, well, gosh, you must have read this book hundreds and hundreds of times. And he thought about it and he thought, you know, I don't think I've ever read the big book. I study it. I apply the principles in it, but I don't read it. I read novels. 
You know, and that's so true for me now. I used to read the big book. I would read the stories in the back, and it was so funny to watch it, and I would identify in and all this stuff, but I never applied with practical application what the book was telling me to do and to do it at once. I mean, Vision for You is a wonderful meeting. You can listen to it every day for a decade. If you don't get in the book and actually do what the book is telling you to do, you will not have a psychic change. You know, I could sleep with this big book underneath my bed every single night. And through osmosis, I'm not going to get the program of recovery. You know, I remember many times staring at the steps, staring at them, thinking I want to be recovered. But I wasn't taking the actions that were necessary for me to recover. If something fit into my tight schedule, if I was desperate enough, maybe I would try one thing, maybe I would try another thing. But it's putting them into practical application at once. I still was looking for human aid. The meetings will keep me sober. A sponsor will keep me sober. A food plan, yes, that's the answer. But it's saying here, why did Bill recover? Because he acquired some ideas, so he was presented this at the time, the six tenants by Ebby in the hospital, and he put them into practical application at once. And by the time he was discharged, which was only nine days later, he had had a spiritual awakening. He was transformed, and he began his journey of living his principles in 10, 11, and 12, which we have today, in practical application consistently, every day, constantly, like the big book tells us. We're going to see over and over as we go through this book. It's at once, next, action, more action, action, more action. The program of recovery is a verb. We have to put it into practical application if we want the results that we see in this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Uh, We have time for one more share. Would anybody like to share on what was read? This is Paula. Yes, you. Hi, Polly. Go ahead. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Reader, and I'm just looking at the differences between these two paragraphs and that all that are involved, the doctor, the alcoholic. But this, I'm just going to scoot on right down to this lo- the last line. Is indeed inspiring, inspiring. Would you ever think that would come alongside an alcoholic? It's all they saw was losses, losses of family, losses of uh, life, losses of jobs. Inspiring to inspire to one who has labored long and wearily. This man gave it his all, and it wasn't enough. But he doesn't come to this line in frustration, in despair. He comes to this line inspired in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves. These men, they believe in themselves now. And so now we put the end. And still more. And still more. And the power, and that's God himself, none other. They tried it all. Which pulls, pulls, doesn't carry, pulls them, the chronic continuing a long time. We've lived these lines a long time. 
alcoholics back, back from the gates of hell because that's where they were headed, to the gates of hell. Every morning when they woke up saying it'll never happen again and every night when they were looking so confused, it happened again, the gates of hell they were pulled back from. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. It's time to close our meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Laura please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, everyone. It's Laura, recovered in South Jersey. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.